0: Welcome to the Pastoral Effect podcast. This podcast sits at the intersection of theology, spirituality, and pastoral concern. It seeks to celebrate pastoral moments that challenge and transform everyone involved in the encounter. Hence the title, Pastoral Effect. I'm your host, Leanne Davis. Thank you for listening. In this enlightening conversation with Genevieve Anderson we find chaplaincy, the ministry of chaplaincy, is hard to pin down. Unlike a curriculum, a chaplaincy program is an extension of the chaplain's relationship with their particular school community. So every school's chaplaincy program is going to look different because the people, their spiritual needs are going to be different. And as the chaplain moves around their board into different schools, they'll be called upon to develop different gifts, to call out different gifts from the school community. No career will look exactly the same over a 10, 25, 33 year period. And Genevieve's interview today really helps us understand how that relationship between the chaplain and the school happens. And really the essence of what a chaplain does and what a chaplaincy program does in a school really is to see the life and growth that are the markers of God's presence. The chaplain doesn't bring God to the school, but is the person that has the charism, the expertise, to see where God is already working in that school community and to go there to amplify it, to celebrate God's presence, to point to God's presence in that school community. Experienced chaplains in Ontario like Genevieve and many of us stand on the shoulders of greatness and our wisdom and experience that we've cultivated over the years are built on the the early chaplains. And Genevieve references a book called Bridges to Faith edited by Kathy Peed. I tracked down the book. It's out of print now. There are probably many schools that, that might have a dusty copy of it on the shelves. And if you can find it, I, I certainly encourage you to delve into it. It's about chaplaincy being bridge builders, and you'll hear that in Genevieve's interview. Bridges to self, bridges to others, bridges to community, and then bridges beyond. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Genevieve as we explore uh, the diversity of bridges that chaplains are now engaged in building, uh, walking over, extending hands across in Catholic education in 2023.
1: Hi, my name is Genevieve Anderson and I'm very honoured to be on the Pastoral Effect podcast.
0: So Genevieve, thank you very much for being on the third episode on the Pastoral Effect podcast. And I quite enjoy asking this first question to, to everyone that I interview. I find it um, very revealing Uh, very engaging Uh, for my own self, knowing what my religious or spiritual background of my childhood was. I can see it through my own spiritual growth and I can see how I lean into certain things based on that. I I bump into it every once in a while. It seems to be something that I carry around and I I continue to interact with as I journey with people um, through their spiritual lives. So my question is, what was the religious or spiritual background of your childhood?
1: I was born a cradle Catholic into a family who is very staunch in their Catholic faith. Okay. My parents were born in British-occupied India in the mid-1940s, and they were raised in the Catholic faith in India, pre-Vatican II. They immigrated to Canada in 1967. and When I was born in 72, we were living in Montreal, and because of my dad's job, we often were just an insular four-person family that moved from place to place to place. And so my parents were definitely a huge influence on my early spirituality. They took us to church. They made sure that we had our sacraments. And then eventually I started in a Catholic school in grade four in a more stable environment where we were living in the Niagara region in grade 11, uh, my high school chaplain, who was a priest and a Holy Cross father, my school was called Holy Cross, and our <laughs> principal was our principal was also a priest, a Holy Cross priest. But when I was in grade 11, I went on a weekend retreat that I found out about through my chaplain, and that actually changed me into the journey of the person I am today, I think. It was the first time that... Faith became my own instead of my parents. I was able to bond with other high school students from lots of different Catholic high schools around the Niagara region. This was 1986. And it was called Search, I think. We said oh, that.
0: yes, I remember Search, yes.
1: Yeah, it was an American program that um, a married couple and a priest in St. Catharines had brought to the Niagara region. I loved Search. I ended up becoming a leader on search for following retreats in grade 12 and OAC. I was on the team to lead these retreats. And I think because it was a bigger picture thing outside of my high school, it really gave me a sense of more of belonging and more of a community.
0: That's wonderful. You know, it's, it's incredible. So many people that I talk to and and I'm sure that happens to you as well. There's, there's, you know, we, it's Fowler's stages of of faith development. As we move, necessarily, it's a it's a necessary stage to move out of, kind of shed our uh, childhood experiences of our religious formation and and move right. into our own and and make it our own. And so many of us have that story. My story of of retreats uh, again, also from the U.S. I grew up in Western Canada in in B.C. and we uh, we had a. Uh, some Jesuit teams out of um, Gonzaga University in Spokane that came up, and we had encounter weekends, and that too was exactly where I, I, I could I could feel something in me that that was alive. It wasn't just, you know, following my parents and attending church and singing in the choir, as these things that you're just supposed to do to to be a good Catholic. But rather, it was I could feel something growing in me that was exciting, and it and it was also about community, and I too yes. was involved on, on teams then that, that in turn, um, led experiences and, and retreats and, and fun things for, for students uh, in, in my home parish. It was very rewarding and, and very nourishing in the early stages of, of that kind of independent faith that I had.
1: Thanks for sharing that. That's a really significant point about feeling like we belong and that it's our own. I think that's what leads me to want to give those experiences to my students today, a pandemic or not. <laughs> right. How do we make them feel like they belong and that they can take ownership of their own spiritual growth and faith development?
0: Absolutely. So it's interesting to, to talk to someone who uh, you have your the immigrant experience of of moving. To Canada and then moving around a lot, and then as you get established in Ontario, uh, you're actually part of of the the uh, the growth the expansion of, of Catholic education. I mean, I'm coming from BC. I'm not did not grow up in Ontario and, you know, people harken back to the to those days in, in the eighties of working to forward full full funding. And I think I was doing some reading a few weeks ago. We're we're getting close to the fortieth anniversary of of that bill being passed. And so there you are in moving into grade ten, like you're really on the cusp of the full movement of Catholic education in Ontario. I find that really exciting to hear from you. So chaplaincy is your own experience. And then as you moved into it, um, is high school chaplaincy important? Is it essential in this publicly funded institution that we call Catholic education?
1: You know, if I can start with the big picture, I think chaplains provide that beautiful ministry of presence in any temporary institution like hospitals or prisons so true. university campuses um, the military so for me when i think about high school chaplaincy i think about the fact that it's no different than working in a hospital or a prison in the in the sense that simply my my presence is something that can be comforting and calming to people as they go through the stress of their temporary journey in that institution. Mm -hmm. So I only have my students for four years. Obviously, for many of my colleagues, I have a relationship with them for many more years, depending on how long I stay at a school for. My previous school I was at for 13 years. So I was able to minister with and create relationships with my colleagues. Because um, although it's a a thing more difficult, creating those relationships in a chaplaincy setting with the adults in the building is just as important.
0: Absolutely.
1: But I do believe that it's important to have chaplaincy in publicly funded schools. I think that looks different for each person who's in that school. I think for some people, they're falling through the cracks. You know, sometimes enrollment is 35 students in a class.
0: Yes, same here. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I see it as, can I make eye contact with, learn the name of, say hello to, let each individual know that they're seen? And that's very difficult in a larger school. I've worked in schools with 1950 students in the past certainly i'm sure lots of people graduated without ever getting to know me and vice versa
0: it, it it's just the way it is
1: i i chose to transfer to this school that i'm currently at 4 years ago and our enrollment for september is about 530 students
0: wow that's incredible
1: mhm so i think the opportunity to get to know my students is of of course much greater
0: I would be excited my current school is twelve hundred, and I too have done the larger school experience in in the suburbs here in ottawa, and so I found that the eleven hundred to twelve hundred r- range is is a little bit better now we're grade seven to 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 twelve so that's a bit of a different demographic but smaller that that range of like a little over five hundred. Uh, just immediately sparks some thoughts in, in my mind of all the things that could be, that could be done. Mm-hmm. You'd get, getting to know those grade nines as they're transitioning in and then, and then working with them and seeing them through to grade 12 and the different programs and, and such. It feels like it could be quite more impactful with that smaller number.
1: I certainly hope so. I think I have 113 grade nines coming in next September. Wow. Um, that's certainly my, my goal and my hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. But really aside from sort of the the numbers it really then is the importance you realize the importance is really the relationship. So in in the smaller school there is the possibility of developing a, a relationship with everyone, at least making eye contact and knowing everyone's name by the time they graduate. Uh that seems very exciting.
1: I I think it's so important and um My school is very unique, and I think that each school brings out different parts of your ministry. For for example, where I work in Brampton, the neighborhood is predominantly South Asian. And because I work at a single-gender all-girls school, it's a regional school because it's the only all-girls school in our school board. But um, it attracts... I think it attracts certain families and a certain population in terms of knowing that somehow the girls are safer or perhaps there's more of a a focus on education as opposed to the the socializing that may happen in a co-ed school according to the parents thinking. Okay, okay. So I think the parents are quite protective of their girls and that's why they send them to our school. So I'll just give you a quick demographic overview. I would say more than 90%, possibly even 95% of my school is South Asian. Maybe 3 to 4% of my students are black. So about 10% of my students right now identify as Catholic and probably 40 to 50% are Muslim probably 20% are sick and then maybe a few few more in Hinduism or Buddhism but those are in the minority we have very few students who are not South Asian so my approach to chaplaincy at this school is extremely different to what I would have done four years ago at my previous school which was a very conventional Catholic high school which was co-ed and 1500 students in Brampton. Lots of diversity, lots of different kinds of students from different walks of life.
0: Hmm.
1: The school I'm currently at has very specific needs and so one of the things that I thought of when I was mentioning that knowing people's names and, and getting to know people one-on-one is important, most of my students have an Islamic background or a Punjabi background. And I think my experience growing up in a family that immigrated from India really serves me at this particular school. Wow. I'm probably the only person on the staff who has a South Asian background. And I'm probably the only person that has lived in a Muslim country when we were, when we were young. Uh, because of my dad's job, we lived in Algeria for about 18 months and yes and uh, my sister and I were homeschooled during that time because we didn't speak Arabic and the second language there was French so it was a really really interesting informative time in our lives when we were moving around there were some other Canadians there and we certainly also played with the locals um, kids in our neighborhood who spoke Arabic and taught us all the Arabic songs and everything but um, my experience of Islam comes from that time when I was a kid and I think I have a little bit of empathy for my students and a curiosity.
0: Right and you, you're because of, of your childhood background that now in, informs this you're, you're able to very comfortably create space for a, a different culture and, and language and religion and spiritual expression because you're you're comfortable in that and that that is that is an authenticity that the students are picking up on on right away it's it's really something
1: thanks i I see it as an opportunity to serve them in a really deep way. I'm very fond of telling my students, in our social justice and diversity clubs after school that we need to we need to pause, we need to show curiosity, we need to listen and learn from people who are often marginalized or oppressed, that we need to center those voices and work with people in order to create solidarity and social justice. Hmm. And so I think I bring that actually into my daily ministry where you know, I was once asked, what do I think is the preeminent social justice concern of today? And I actually think it's just simply serving my students and helping them to overcome their daily battles with Islamophobia hmm. and their daily battles with racism and their daily battles with a complete lack of representation. So. I think I have created space where students can walk into my office and say, Miss, my problem today is, you know, one of my teachers said this and I feel like it's a microaggression. What do I do? Or, Miss, you know, I feel like other students don't understand me because of how I practice my faith. Or, Miss, I don't know, it's for some reason in Brampton, they just call everyone Miss.
0: Same here. I'm, I'm used to that language. <laughs>
1: um, you know, Miss, I can't eat the pizza from Pizza Pizza across the street because it's not a halal certified restaurant. I was wondering if we could order pizza from a different place. And so these are very simple opening lines where they show a lot of trust and yes. because they know that I'm going to do the work to serve them a little better the next time. You know, it's not just about not ordering pepperoni pizza, but it's also about thinking about the fact that maybe 20 students in my school are just nervous eating from a place that's not halal certified. And in Brampton, there may be hundreds of restaurants now where they can eat comfortably. So, you know, I can, I can certainly help. It's just a, an example but in terms of chaplaincy, um, each student has needs in terms of their spiritual growth and faith development.
0: Absolutely.
1: And for some people, it's simply saying, hey, there's a Muslim prayer room in the main office. Uh, we've turned our, one of our conference rooms in the main office into a full-time prayer room. And it always surprises me in June when students still don't know it exists.
0: Oh fascinating. And students, teenagers they that's who they are.
1: That's right, that's right. Um, and then I think, well I don't I don't think I'm doing a good enough job advertising it, you know. And I think like uh, like a lot of people, i I take care of our chapel and make sure that we have this sacred space that is used well, but at the same time, you know inviting, Classes down to the chapel doesn't always guarantee that students will then seek it out on their own. I have, like I said, ten percent or less of my students now who are Catholic, and so I've started trying to meet with them one on, one on one. I actually put an I put a call out to students to come and see me if they were Catholic, and I think it's so funny. Other students um, they commented. So another student came in one day and she said. Miss, I know that you put out this call for all the Catholic students to come and see you. I'm sure you're giving them, like, a gift or something. <laughs> and she said, I'm not Catholic, you know, and I and I don't expect you to give me that gift, But I but I just wanted to just come and talk to you anyway. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I don't know where you got the impression I was giving out some free stuff. But literally, I just... <laughs> I just wanted to give the grade 12s who were graduating some information about Catholic chaplaincy on campus, where they're going to be going to university next year. Just (laughs) some (laughs)
0: information.
1: And then I I thought, you know, somehow, even though they have spent four years at an open access Catholic high school, I think a lot of them still feel a bit insecure that somehow they don't belong or that they're missing out on something that the Catholic students have. And they don't want them to feel like that
0: no no of course not and you and i i know you would work very hard to try and and dissuade that for sure but it you know it just we're not involved in every conversation in in the school at, at each locker and you have no you have no idea you know how things are interpreted
1: absolutely mm. so you know my office is always full of granola bars and yeah. you know sometimes candy yeah and people know they can come in for that physical nourishment um whether they are food obsessed or whether they're just hungry that day and have forgotten their lunch which i think is wonderful it gets people in the door
0: really and truly yes Mm -hmm. i've experienced that myself
1: you know but the the fact that people come back to talk is always Mm -hmm. such a surprise and a blessing i'm always so happy when people just come in to say, hi, I just wanted to say hi, I wanted to visit, how's your day going? Which I think is so cute when they ask me how my day's going. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's
0: well, so sit genuine. down and, and let me tell you. <laughs> That's right.
1: It's so genuine and generous of them. Um, and then other times they just come in and tell me the worst possible thing. And uh-huh. it, it is it is something that they're going through, which is so traumatic.
0: Yeah.
1: Perhaps, perhaps they're looking, at me as a stepping stone to getting a referral to a therapist or to a social service and it can be very very difficult for the student who's going through this terrible time in their life whether it's uh, a sick parent or a a death in the family or a death of a friend Mm -hmm. um, violence in the community there are some real life or death issues that students bring to me that every time we go through it together and I listen to them and hopefully they go forward with a little bit of hope or even if they don't go forward with hope hopefully they go forward with a little bit of extra understanding and knowledge of some of the resources that are available out there I, I'm i always so amazed and grateful that these students come and talk to me and even occasionally some staff members and colleagues who come and talk to me about some of the terrible things they're going through, whether it's a health scare of their spouse, or a problem with their spouse, um, or their kids. It can be really daunting to open up to someone, especially one of your colleagues. But again, it's just such a privilege to listen and learn from my students and my colleagues. I think that is the part of my ministry that I will always cherish the most. And it still surprises me every day when people walk in. I used to joke that when my calendar was empty or even partially empty on a particular day, that it would just get filled up with um, just more availability, you know, with that door open philosophy.
0: No two days ever look alike, and I I think uh, most of us, we thrive on that. I I certainly do.
1: Mm -hmm. I love the variety. I wasn't cut out to be a teacher, you know, I'm not a teacher. I I got into chaplaincy, you know, partly because of the experience of my own high school chaplaincy when I was in St. Catherine's growing up at Holy Cross Secondary School. Even though they were priests and brothers and not lay people, I didn't even know you could be a chaplain until halfway through my undergrad at St. Jerome's University. I went to Catholic University as well, on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. And I started in drama and I ended up graduating with religious studies and psychology. And honestly, if it wasn't for the campus ministry at my university, where lay people were actively ministering, and where the students were empowered to take on a leadership role, I don't think I would even have realized that I could do chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. And in fourth year undergrad, I ended up actually doing my senior research paper. I won't call it a thesis because it was undergrad, but I did it on... um, what it means to be a high school chaplain.
0: Really? In your Mm -hmm. fourth year? Wow, that's Mm -hmm. incredible. And this is
1: 1993, so I got to, I I went out there, my advisor told me to go out and interview chaplains because there was no research at the time. So I did primary research by interviewing a bunch of high school chaplains in the Waterloo region. And uh, I remember I talked to Mill Winter and Paul Trotnick and Wanda Cakebread and all of these pioneers in lay Catholic chaplaincy, and got really excited about it. And then that's what caused me to go and do my master's in theology and, and uh, move forward in this career, in this vocation.
0: That's an incredible story. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for us and for your school that you did that research project. It's a, it's, it would have been very inspiring.
1: Thanks, Leanne. It You know, I think the late 80s and early 90s was such an exciting time for laity, and I think all of those chaplains actually contributed to a really seminal book uh, called Bridges to Faith, which was mm-hmm. edited by Kathy Peed from Hamilton. So I worked my first seven years in chaplaincy in Waterloo Catholic District School Board alongside some of those amazing people, and it was part of the Diocese of Hamilton, and You know, now I contrast that early time in my career 25 years ago with working in 2023, post-pandemic, in the Archdiocese of Toronto, in the Peel region. Um, Obviously, my experience now, you know, a quarter of a century later is very different. I have uh, recently found out that potentially I'm eligible for early retirement in six years.
0: Really? Six years? Wow, that is the light at the end of the tunnel flickering.
1: <laughs> I don't like counting things down. I mean, even two weeks before summer vacation, I refuse to count down because I, I okay. don't like time, you know, yeah. uh, slipping away too quickly. Yeah. So I'm, I am looking forward to a long career ahead of me. You know, six years is a long time. But things are different today. And I think that if i don't listen and learn and adapt then i'm not going to be relevant to my students not just a lay-led school but also a different approach to how we create that atmosphere of Mm -hmm. faith formation and spiritual growth it looks different for each student and for me i really do believe in that individual approach i think that's what people call the pastoral approach or pastoral care is that each individual person is loved by God, belongs, and that their specific gifts, talents, abilities, needs, need to be taken into consideration. And We can't have a one-size-fits-all approach in chaplaincy or in Catholic education, or quite frankly in the church.
0: No, no, I totally agree. Certainly not in two thousand and twenty-three in a post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. And we have so much to, you know, we're journeying with students, we're journeying with staff. We they, they they also contribute to our continued faith growth, development as well. It's 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 a relationship, and I think of when you were talking about your Muslim students. Uh, this is the second year at, at my current school in an urban area of Ottawa. And I uh, was talking to one of our Muslim students who had just transferred to our school. And it was the just the second or, or third day of Ramadan. And I just asked her how, how her fasting was going. And she said, what, what? And so I just asked, I just, you know, were the early days of Ramadan? And I, I would find that hard. I said that kind of fasting to eat before sunup and then to only eat after sundown. And I was just wondering just how she was doing. and. And we stood in the hallway there outside my office and had this fascinating conversation that will stay with me and will inform my own Lenten journey next, next year because she talked about how she really enjoyed fasting, especially the early days because she was sort of hungry but she felt so much more alert and she felt spacious and she felt energy because there wasn't that food there that was kind of sort of dragging her down and she didn't feel lethargic. So she thought sort of spiritually she was really starting to blossom.
1: How beautiful.
0: And I just thought I, I, I have just through this 17 year old I now have a, a, a completely new perspective that i'm going to take into my lenten journey next year and i made a note of it and i i've journaled about it and here i am talking to you about it publicly in a in a podcast uh, that our whole conversation was enlightening to me and has helped me grow spiritually that i'm already anticipating the season of lent and it's only the summer it's the summertime and so it's i think it's really important uh as people listen, whether they're in chaplaincy or not, just the effect that a student's experience or a staff member's experience can have that can be transformative in our own spiritual journey.
1: I'm glad you mentioned learning from our students because one of the great privileges of working at a school with a predominantly Muslim population is that in the last three years, Ramadan and Lent overlap. So true. So I love doing think fast. And so what we did was we made sure that we had think fast schedule squarely in Ramadan and Lent. And then we would end think fast with a sunset iftar or a sunset breaking of the fast for everyone. And we made it a potluck as well. So, I think this coming year will be our third annual at this school, in person, where we fast for 24 hours together, and then for the non-Muslim students, they start fasting Thursday night after dinner on the honor system. And then for the Muslim students, they follow the normal fasting routine of sunrise to sunset. And then at sunset, at the end of our think fast activities, we all break the fast together and we've learned so much from our muslim students about the routine of the prayer and the ablutions and um, a special rose flavored drink and eating a date to break your fast and then after all of that has been done everyone just lines up at the buffet table And we have a big vegetarian feast so we keep it vegetarian because typically we have it on a Friday during Lent and we want to make sure that this is truly a multicultural interfaith iftar so the Catholic students have a vegetarian meal to break the fast all the students can eat the food because it's vegetarian we don't have to worry about whether the food is halal or not um, because there's no meat so it's truly an interfaith think fast and iftar sunset meal. And that
0: that's incredible, fun. Genevieve. That's I, I feel just inspired. I can visualize it having done so many think fasts. Well, it's really incredible for you to to be able to layer those two together. Everyone is welcome to this to this think fast, and it can serve them spiritually, regardless of, of their religious faith. Uh, it's it's really quite beautiful.
1: Yes, it, it really is. And what's exciting to me is that for the past, you know, few decades, Think Fast and previously I used to call it Fast for Change at my previous school in Kitchener. Mm. So whether it was Fast for Change or whether it was Think Fast, it is the single most successful numbers wise event of my ministry. And this is something that every year I get 120 to 200 students sign up for, for the past 25 years.
0: Really? That, that's incredible. Those, those numbers are incredible.
1: Whether it's a small school, like literally I got one-fifth to a quarter of the school coming to Think Fast the past two years. Or whether it's a bigger school, you know, it, it never fails to surprise me that this is the single most successful after-school optional activity in my career. It's incredible. And I don't know if it's because it's student-run, so I allow the students to choose their own social justice and solidarity activities and games. I don't know if it's because we don't exactly follow a script from other organizations, we kind of make it our own. Okay. You know, uh, we still give either half the proceeds or the whole proceeds to Development and Peace. And sometimes we bring in a guest speaker from Development and Peace for an hour of the event. But it is incredible to me that students come out in droves and they love it and they tell everyone about it. And then the next year more people want to come. Hmm. So I, I think part of it is creating that sense of ownership when we have students who can create some of the activities themselves. Some of it is just being allowed to play, you know, capture the flag and run around the school like hooligans after dark. And some of it, I think, is just, you know, that genuine desire for everyone to be together in a fun atmosphere. Because, you know, we're already fasting. We're already making some sacrifices financially to give to a charity. Like, we're not going to make it boring on top of that, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, and what and what it's a, it's a, such a community building a, a, a event as well, and uh, the learning that the students are, are doing the inter, intercultural and and interreligious learning through their conversations uh, that that aren't even planned or, or part of your agenda, um, are are happening as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting me share that story. Our chaplaincy ministry in Catholic education is a two-way street, and I think. I have learned so much from my students over the past 25 years. To the point that in my previous school, so I worked at a co-ed high school in Brampton, and I started there in 2006, and it was my first time working outside of the sort of Kitchener-Waterloo area. So right away, there's a huge difference demographically. And I got to know students you know, from all walks of life, but especially I noticed that my six students got involved in the Catholic chaplaincy in a way that no other students did. So I had six students who volunteered to read at mass, who volunteered to help with various Catholic ministries. And so through spending time with these six students i learned about seva their philosophy of loving service to others Mm. and giving back to the community
0: okay
1: and through their example when i was brave enough to go looking for my future husband online i went on Mm match.com and i was able to meet my wonderful spouse menon whose background is he was raised Hindu but his ancestors are Sikh. And so when when I went looking for him, I was so much more open to meeting someone from a different faith background because of working with my students at Notre Dame High School in Brampton. Incredible. And you know, it's not that I always wanted to marry someone who was Catholic before that. I I genuinely just wanted to meet the right person for me but I was just like palpably so much more open to meeting someone like Menon because of my experience working with my students in Brampton. Brampton and so I met him in 2014 and we got married in 2015 and our weddings were both on the same day we had a shorter Catholic wedding at my parish and then you know an hour later we had a shorter hindu wedding and i don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for my professional experience
0: wow that the professional experience was so enriching that you you were open
1: that's right the, uh, my students just opened me up to the possibility that there is more to life than just being on team catholic hmm. And, you know, it's my husband's joke that we call it Team Catholic, where, um, you know, I was raised on Team Catholic. I was raised to be the cheerleader for Team Catholic no matter what. And, you know, to not air the dirty laundry outside of the communities. Ah, yes, yes. if If there was some kind of scandal in the church, like residential schools or clergy sex abuse, or anything else we kept it to ourselves we gave everyone a pass and we just pretended it didn't happen and we moved on and we looked at the positives you know and i can i can no longer do that leanne
0: mm-hmm.
1: i i really believe that we need to be truthful we need to be honest and we need to be whole in who we are and so i think that means taking responsibility for who we are as roman catholics and Being able to publicly state that this is not okay. That I am not okay being part of a faith community that sweeps things under the rug, that wants to quickly move on. That it is okay to atone, that it is okay to listen and learn so that we can work towards truth and reconciliation, so that we can um, heal those who are survivors, so that we can make sure that we don't victimize people ever again, and that we center the stories of people who have survived, that we center the stories of the victims of sex abuse. And that is a very difficult thing to do as a Catholic. I still don't think that I have even part of the answer on how to do this in a realistic way day to day. But it has helped me become a better chaplain because I am willing to speak about some difficult issues out loud. Um, I mean, one of the funny things about chaplaincy is they literally hand us a microphone every morning and say, you can talk for two to three minutes about anything you want.
0: It's a dangerous proposition.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's, you know, on on good days, the Holy Spirit inspires me to talk about things that affect students. So perhaps Mm -hmm. the day before, maybe the day before a student comes up to me and says another student did this negative thing to me i feel terrible and i simply sit with them but then the next day it inspires me to talk about that topic to the whole school in a non specific way
0: absolutely I've, I've been there done that yeah it's it's mm-hmm. really incredible to to feel yourself being sort of used as a as an instrument really you're 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 in touch with these things these movements these tensions conflict in, in the school, and then you're, you're able to um, help express it in, in a formal way where the whole school can, can reflect on it and it can touch into, into people's lives. It's, uh, it's a really important important part of our ministry.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's also very convicting because if I'm talking about the golden rule, treating people the way you want to be treated or practicing kindness or love is patient love is kind and if i'm not doing it on a daily basis with my colleagues with my students if i you know if i'm human and slip up and make a mistake and don't say the right thing to a student in a in the heat of the moment for example if i get impatient with a student let's say mm-hmm. You know, I also need to have that humility to pause, realize that perhaps I can go back and apologize. And so I make it a point in my ministry to go back and apologize to people, um, to try to let them know that I know that I wasn't acting as the ideal chaplain, perhaps in that moment.
0: Right.
1: Um, And I think that's, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly... Not consistent. and But I think that if they're looking at us as a spiritual role model of any kind, then it is important to model those things like truth and reconciliation and apologizing and taking responsibility for how we act around staff and students every day. Because if not me, then who?
0: Absolutely, for sure. And I
1: think that in chaplaincy, because you are such a public figure, again, with the microphone for two to three minutes every morning and <laughs> just in our in our day-to-day ministry and our day-to-day work, we're seen as faith leaders in the school. But to me, integrity means way more than just going to church on Sunday and making sure that I, you know, tick the boxes of being a public faith leader. I think it's also about practicing what we preach and balancing that with that mission to bring the love of God and that sense of belovedness and belonging to each person on my path in my ministry. And I think that's that pastoral effect of how can we keep a balance between remembering that we have obligations, to the general public that pays for us to be in these publicly funded schools, as well as how can we bring that spirit, that vision of church together in this bridge building, balancing act where we look at each individual person and we can say, You are beloved by God. You are special. You have been put on this earth for a purpose. You have beautiful gifts and talents and abilities, but also we see your needs. We hear what you need, and we want to be able to serve you as servant leaders. And again, in contrast, sometimes I see other people out there trying to fit people into a particular program or trying to fit people into a particular cookie cutter approach and i feel like that's so dangerous that we we lose the pastoral care in that moment of saying um you know this is the only way to be catholic or this is the only way to be educated in a catholic school if Catholic really means universal, then we really have to start to remember that it's about culture. It's about identity. It's about family background. It's about language. It's about the immigrant experience. It's about you know taking care of our earth together. It's about taking care of each other together. And how do we keep building bridges and that that's why i loved that title of the the seminal book by uh kathy peed back in the 80s and 90s of building bridges of faith how do i approach each day each event i mean a lot of times we are event planners where we have large group activities but how do we move
0: in bodies
1: oh yeah (laughs) setting up chairs taking down chairs yeah but how do we use those opportunities whether they're large group events or retreats or small liturgies in the chapel or clubs and teams I run four or five clubs and teams every year because I think that's my way of getting to know individual students Mm -hmm. so that if we're on a club or team together In the future, if you're having a personal problem or have a question, you're more likely to come and talk to me because you already know me as a caring adult who hung out with you in the library or wherever after school during our club meeting. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's, um, you stand on the shoulders of greatness when you invoke uh, names and and the early writings there of the chaplains with Kathy Peed, and your style of chaplaincy is, much more difficult to do than the cookie cutter, to be able to build those bridges and then while on that bridge, uh, balance, hold that tension, balance those questions and serve, call people forth, that that, this kind of ministry, your kind of ministry is a taxing and it takes a lot of work to enter into that space and hold all of that for that entire tenure that you're at that school, versus just having the, the, a cookie cutter model, if you will, which is, in my mind, seems a little bit easier. Well, we'll just fit everybody in there, and then whoever doesn't wanna be in there, well, they'll just take care of themselves, and, and you know we, we can sort of tick off some boxes, as you've said before, and I, I really appreciate um, and am and, and am inspired by your style of ministry, Genevieve, and I'd, clearly because you stand on the shoulders of greatness, um, and and you were so richly blessed in your undergrad to to see that and, and witness it, and and you continue the mission today and ideally for another six years.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Anne.
0: Boston College School of Theology and Ministry professor Dr. Thomas Groom has a new book out, Exploring the Essence of Catholic Education. In a recent interview, he recalled an experience he had decades ago in Pakistan where he witnessed what he called an excellent example of Catholic education. Unlike the Catholic schools he was familiar with in his native Ireland or the U.S., the Pakistani school was staffed predominantly by Muslim teachers, and the students were also Muslim. Groom has seen a similar phenomenon during visits to Korea and Hong Kong. Catholic schools delivering a Catholic education, even though the educators and student body were primarily not Catholic. As Groom says, Catholic schools educate from a faith perspective and for a faith perspective. I've drawn some important insights from my conversation with Genevieve. My work in chaplaincy is obviously to help Catholic students grow and evolve in their faith development, but it isn't about convincing other people to become Catholic or Christian As a chaplain, my job is to help all people be more fully human and to know their sacredness. Chaplains are present with people as they seek to be fully human. We see the whole person. We are with people through their suffering, aware of their needs, present to their truest humanness. We are often exposed to the pain of another. We listen and we hold space. Genevieve, thank you for holding space with me today trusting me with this conversation that I get to share with others. It's been insightful and edifying. And I hope it has been for all of our listeners. Thanks for listening.